0: Dave, thanks for leading us so far this morning uh, as we've come to worship. Good morning. You're very welcome as you join with us. Uh, We're lower on the ground this morning, but it's great that you're here because we're continuing to build a great picture of what we biblically believe God has intended for the church. So we've started a series a number of weeks ago called Life Together. We're now in part three of that. Uh, Christoph took us off to think of, first of all, two fundamental questions. the first one being what is the church for? And we concluded by saying that the church is to bless the world by following Jesus wholeheartedly and allowing His beauty to attract people to Him. That's what church is for. The second fundamental question that was asked last week was, how can we be a church? in an increasingly secular culture. In other words, how do we do it? If we believe that the church is to bless the world by following Jesus wholeheartedly and allowing his beauty to attract people to him, well, how do we do it? So that's what we thought last week. We want to be sure that our church is the church God wants us to be. We want to be a community that's living out God's purpose in the times and in the place where God has put us. So today, we move on to think about this phrase, each other. So we've started thinking, what's church about? Secondly, how can we be the church in this ever-increasing secular society? Well, the next piece that we want to build in is this idea that it's each other. It's you, and it's you, and it's you, and it's you. It's the people in front of you, it's the people behind you, it's the people beside you. This is what we're thinking about, what it means to share life together. By nature, I'm quite a sentimental person. And later this week, I will commence my final three months at Kirkpatrick Memorial. And as a sentimental person, Um, I've already started packing some things in my study to look and think, well, what can I put in a box and what can stay out and things like that. I will remember the joys and the laughter. I will remember the moments that weren't so great in the past four years or so that I've been here. But every day that I have been here, over a four-year period, I have never stopped learning. Every day I have been taught something new about what it means to do church, and to be church. For those of you who have been here for four years, I rocked up one Sunday morning in a suit sometime around the 12th of July in 2009. My first sermon was uh, in First Samuel. It was the, what we were studying at that time. I was probably, in your mind, the country bumpkin. You were my first engagement with genuine urban dwellers. (laughs) Now, you can laugh, but it's true. I'm from Armagh. I love the fact that Armagh is the third city of Northern Ireland, but I'm not dumb. I know that Armagh is not a city. Very much, it's a large market town. The mentality of the people in Armagh is still very country. You folks in Belfast, you are the true urban thinkers of our nation. And I was transplanted from my country ways to be here with you. Wow, I don't know what the journey's been like for you, but for me, it's been unreal. You see, for me, church was about 100 people gathering together in a building similar to this. I grew up in a Christian community, and everything worked towards the big Sunday event. 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock, that was the moment of church. And everything in the week built up for that. So on Sunday after- or Saturday afternoon, you washed your car so that it would be shining beside all the other shining cars in the car park. You made sure your shoes were shined that night, and you made sure your suit was ready for the next morning, and you would done it all, and off you'd go with your Bible and your hymn book in hand, and you'd go and you'd be church from 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock. And what was church like? Church was like one psalm, one mission praise song, and two hymns. The mission praise was in there to keep us relevant and up there with the music. But that was church. Long prayers, sermons that were good, but very few that I remember having much of an impact on my life. And as soon as Amen was said at the end of the benediction, within two minutes the place was empty. Everyone was going home to check in on the Sunday roast. And well dare you go over one minute past 12 because the roast will be ruined. It was timed perfection. That is, church was timed perfection. It was the one hour, and that was it. The rest of life you got on with, except for maybe the odd Bible study and prayer meeting thrown in on a Tuesday evening. That's how I grew up thinking of church. And you know, it's quite easy, church. What do you do? You roll up. You do your bit, and you rule out again. That's it. Whenever you meet people from church outside of, of Sunday morning, it's, how's the weather? How's the family? Nothing deeper than those normal social questions that anyone would ask you. There was no distinction of being the church Monday to Saturday. There's nothing made it stand out. The only thing that made us stand out as a Christian community was when the gates were open and the doors were open between 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock for easy church to roll up and roll out again. But there was one moment in my formative years as a teenager growing up where I did experience something differently in the church that I love at home with the people that I hold dearly. Under the vision of a minister we had at home, it was decided that we would hold some form of outreach to our community. And so there was much time in prayer. There was a preaching series getting us ready for this activity that we were going to do. And this wasn't just some let's do something nice. This was genuine let's get together and see where God is leading us. And God led us down the route of door to door Leaflet dropping. And so we got together, we prayed together, we worked together. And for a couple of months, it is without a doubt the most beautiful moment in my growing up of seeing church working together. There was no backbiting. There was no second-guessing of why are they doing that or what's the reason for doing that. There was a genuine spirit that when this small community of God's people came together, great things happened as they waited on God and as they acted on His leading. So since coming here four years ago, that little glimmer that I had for a couple of months in my teenage years, has grown and developed as I have been here. Whenever I came here, there was no one up in the gallery. The first six or so pews, there was probably no one in. Our numbers have grown dramatically to about three or 400 people who gather or connect with us. But I have learned along this journey what it means to be church and to think about life together. Last week, Christoph left us with this in thinking about how do we do it. We live out God's purposes for us when our good lives attract people to Jesus. This is how we do church. How do we do it? We live out the purposes that God has for us when our good lives attract people to Jesus. And you know, it's quite easy because we can look at this and we can say, that's well and good. There's another great little statement up on the screen. Brilliant. I agree with it. Now let's go home. You see, what we need to do is, if we are starting to think and agree with what we're seeing in this series about what it means to share life together, well, it must lead to action. The Christian church has never been a place of inactivity. It's always been a place that has been vibrant. It has always been moving and growing because that is the very nature of God as he unveils his will for the world. The ultimate salvation plan to draw all nations to himself. So what does it mean for us to live in this way in the light of the New Testament times that we're now living as we think about it in these New Testament times, I want to suggest that you cannot obey the New Testament without other people. Oh, oh sorry, I'm looking at a screen here. and There we go. Sorry, thank you. <laughs> I'm not going to go back over those again. Hopefully you were catching up. Okay, so New Testament times. I want to suggest to you that we cannot obey the New Testament without other people. Think about that. In everything we understand from Matthew to Revelation, we cannot live what's contained within those letters, those Gospels, those words of encouragement and pictures of what the church should be without each other. The church is not an isolationist movement. It's not about me. It's about us. So one another, each other. Personal faith has been described recently as one of the biggest traps in the Christian church. Because we think that it's okay to have a private faith because we think that's what God tells us to do. And growing up, that's what I was taught. Read your Bible, pray and do your best for God and whatever he has given you, but you go and do it. And so a notion of personal faith exclusively has developed within the church that this is all we do. We gather here, we sing, we pray, you hear some preaching, and then you go out and live it in your little life. No, life is much bigger than each individual. God has always intended something bigger than each individual. We are intended for community. And where do we trace this? Well, it starts right in Genesis Adam was not left on his own. Eve was provided for what purpose? To bring family. To start building a people. Then we have Abraham and Lot. Abraham was told by God to go. And he went. But what did he do? He brought Lot's family with him. And everything of Lot's with him. And together they went as a community. To go wherever God would lead them. In Egypt the people were formed in captivity. They became the children of Israel. They became a a particular group of people called Hebrews that just didn't include them, but their identity started to be built in captivity. And then whenever the 12 tribes of Israel were firmly established as a nation under the kingship of David, in the return of exile, the people were once again established into a nation. And at each point, God was delighted to call them his people. And these communities were never exclusive communities. Every time God has brought about a group of people together, they have never been exclusive. There has always been an open invitation. Laws were created so that the children of Israel could allow those who were not of Jewish birth to come in. God never intended exclusivity in his communities. Well, what about the New Testament? So that's the Old Testament. We see this picture that every time God moves, he moves his people. In the New Testament, Jesus comes and gathers around him a small community of disciples and followers. They go with him everywhere he goes. They learn from him and they do life together. The early church formed itself into small house groups who met regularly to eat together and share everything of life together. In our reading in Ephesians, Paul makes clear his expectations of what a community following Jesus should be like. Verse 1 of Ephesians 4, he tells them to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And we can easily read this to say, again, that's Paul saying each individual, but it's verse 2 gives us the context. It says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Paul places the context of living the life we have been called to, to firmly place it in community. And just as in 1 Corinthians 12, he uses the image of the body in verses 12 to 16 of Ephesians 4 to remind the church in Ephesus that they are each vital and valuable to this new and growing community. So the word community, we've used it a lot. When you think of community here in Kirkpatrick Memorial, what do you think? Each of us will have our very own different answers. Some will be positive and some will be negative. Why will there be positives and negatives? Because we are not a perfect group of people. We are not perfect. All we do is strive to live this life that we've been called to, as shown to us by Jesus Christ. We will all judge by our nature how community life should be through our experiences and our expectations. But as we have thought a little of what life together means already, I hope that we're beginning to see that real community is something the church is about and goes beyond what happens on a Sunday morning and goes beyond the things that divide us, but rather the things that unite us as we share life together and live in the way that God has for us. Don't be convinced by what I'm saying. Let's go to the Bible and see what it says. There are over 50 occurrences in the New Testament where we are taught about how to live the life God wants us to live together. They're there, so we'll go for them. There's a list of them, but... Each one has something different to say. Mark five or Mark 9 verse 50, Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. John 13, 34 to 35, A new command I give you, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Romans 12 verse 10, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Romans 12, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Romans 14, verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling, stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. First Corinthians twelve twenty five. Its parts, that is the body, should have equal concern for each other. Ephesians four thirty two be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Ephesians five twenty one submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. First Thessalonians five verse fifteen make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Hebrews 3, verse 13, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hebrews 10, to 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. James 5, verse 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. James 5, verse 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 1 Peter 4, verses 8 to 10, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And finally, 1 Peter 4, or 5, verse 14, greet one another. By the way, Peter doesn't finish there. He says, greet one another with a kiss of love. try it out, see how you go. I made no apology for taking four minutes to go through those verses, and at that speed, because there's no way we could spend time on what this is saying. But do you get the picture of what is required of a New Testament church? One another, each other, no individuals, but together as a community. Confess your sins to each other. Greet each other daily. Encourage each other daily. Greet one another with a kiss of love. From that very quick list, what there can you do on your own? Nothing. Nothing. It is done with or towards someone else. None of what the New Testament teaches about church can be done on our own. It is about doing it together. And here's the greatest part of it. It's not a theological ivory tower. This was designed for everyday normal life. And let's face it, we all know what normal life is like. It's chaotic. It's hectic. At times it can be fast-paced. At times it can be slow. At times it can be great. At times it can be darn right annoying but we are to live as a Christian community in normal life. Let's face it, this is not normal life right now. I don't know how many of you have pews in in your home and, and sit like this and look at one person live in your front living room. For one moment, don't think what we do between 11 and 1 on a Sunday morning is constituted as normal Life is out there, that we live as we meet people in the streets, as we text people on our phones and have conversations in many various kinds. We meet people over meals, we meet people over the coffee table at work, we meet people in libraries, at school gates, in clubs and activities that we go to, whether they be sporting or for those in our retiring years. Life happens beyond these four walls. And it's in that life that we are to live our best for Jesus Christ. But we don't do it on our own. We do it together. What kind of life did you expect God had for you? Because whenever I came to faith, the life that I now see that God has for me It's completely different. What do I expect the life God has for me? Well, I believe that the life that God has for me is a shared life. It's a growing life, and it's a deepening life. And I believe this is what he has for his community. And if you agree with that, that God wants us to share life, he wants us to grow in our greater, greater in love with him, and he wants us to go deeper with him. Well, if you look around you, this gathering is not the place to do that church can't do that between 11 and 1. Three to 400 people cannot go deep. They cannot share life in the ways that the New Testament tells us. Rather, as our numbers are too big, we need to think of another way. And as we look at the example and model of the early church, it's about communities, but smaller communities. Communities that come together beyond that one or two hours on a Sunday, who come together to meet and to share life. Don't mishear me. This gathering is great. Because in this gathering, we get a foretaste of what eternity is like as God is gathering people around his throne. We worship together, we pray together, we read together, we study together. But let's face it, unless you're Christoph, as he demonstrated about ten minutes ago, I don't see anyone else standing up to put up their hand and interact in any other way. That's not how it's designed, but in real smaller communities, we have the freedom to share life at all levels, from the mundane of shopping and getting the groceries to those moments where we are agonizing in our hearts what it means to follow Jesus. So, what needs to happen? I'm not saying that all of a sudden Sunday morning's cancelled. No, this is vital and this is much needed. But what I'm saying is there needs to be a change in our thinking. And I want to propose to you that this is the change that needs to be made. We need to start to become intentional people who have an intentional Christianity. Intentional Christianity means that we don't coast. I love this church because it's got a slope. Ever thought about going down it on a skateboard? That's how the majority of us, including myself, do church. We get on the skateboard and we let it go its own way, and we're just there for the journey. Intentional Christianity means there's more than the skateboard. In fact, we get off the skateboard and we start walking. It means that we're intentional in our conversations. It means we're intentional about how we interact with each other and how we treat each other. It means we're intentional about how we interact with God's Word. It means we're intentional in our prayer life. It means we're intentional at the school gate, in the bowling club, in the uh, friendship club, in golden years, in holiday Bible club, in youth fellowship, in GB, in BB, in parents and toddlers, in creche, in Sunday school, in Bible class, and the other things that we do as a church community. We become intentional people who are more about Jesus than we are about ourselves and the model that this world has for us. See, back in Ephesians 4, Paul uses a term twice, to help describe something uh, to be maintained and something to be attained, Paul recognised that within each community of God's people there will be disagreements over this and that, or there'll be friction that grows out of selfish ambition. For Paul, the solution is to be always intentional in how we live in community, and that intentionality is twofold. Firstly, Paul reminds the church that the joy and fellowship that they knew and the assurance of eternal life is all because of Jesus. He says in verse 7, that to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. They can add nothing to their faith. What they are currently experiencing in terms of their joy of salvation, they've done nothing. It is all of Jesus Christ. It is him who has brought them into this relationship with him, and it is him who has given the grace and apportioned it as it need be. Secondly, Paul tells the community that it is their job to ensure that unity is attained by accepting what God has given each person. So from verse 11 we read, it was he who gives some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So he's saying in the first instance, your unity is surround, it centers around Jesus Christ because it is he who has brought about your salvation. And secondly, Draw around unity. Even though you differ, remember Jesus Christ because it is he who has apportioned some to be this role and this role, but everyone is vital as he moves on then to give that image of the body of Christ again. Paul saying, come, community of people, be intentional, be caring, be loving, and allow the world to see your good lives so that they will be attracted to that goodness in Jesus Christ. What what was their purpose? What, What was the purpose of all of this? Paul says, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Their goal was that they were working to what God had for them, a greater love, a greater relationship, and the fullness of Christ Jesus. This was their shared purpose. And so this is our shared purpose. And as we think about attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, we must be intentional people as a community of God's people. If we recognize that this large gathering is not the best place for this to happen, then it must be nurtured in smaller communities not taking away from what we do on a Sunday morning, but rather enriching it and growing it because of the deeper life that has been shared together. Our communities need to create a culture in which we encourage one another to challenge, comfort, console, exhort and rebuke one another with the gospel in the context of ordinary life. These communities are not cliques or exclusive communities for a particular set of people. Rather, they are inclusive and open to everyone from the youngest to the oldest. This is not a modern way of doing church. Rather, it is a biblical way of knowing Jesus better and living the life that God wants for us. Let's pray. Father, as we think about what it means to share life together and do church, we can get so caught behind what is tradition, what we just always do because it's comfortable and because it's, it's normal to us. But Father, I don't think this is what you ever intended. What we have is good. What we have helps us in our faith journey with Jesus Christ. But Father, help us to see that there is more. That there can be more depth. That there can be more maturing and that there can be more sharing of life. So that we will grow as a community of your people. That the world will look in and not congratulate us, but rather they will see something of Jesus. And they will want it. So take our thinking. Take our hearts. Take everything that is within us. And Father, continue to renew us and transform us. So that we will be the church that you want us to be. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.